History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent out of office remastered episode, Sex in Vietnam from 1985 to 1990. So if you haven't listened to that, go back, check it out, or else you'll find spoilers ahead. Have you twiddled your knob again? Hello, my name is Pete Goddard and I'm here in the sexy HHE studio with the karma to my sutra. It's Mr. Ryan Weir. Hello, Pete. And we are joined as ever by the dedicated distributor of Dong. It's the judge himself, Mr. Paul Dursley. Well, that's one thing I've never been called before. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure anyone's been called that before, to be honest. I may have invented something new. I love it. Now, Ryan, I'm afraid last week's episode was so incredibly sexy, I've forgotten entirely what we talked about. Oh, well, yeah, no, that's fully understandable. I was, my mind just went blank in the, the ecstasy that was available. So I wonder if you could remind us what we, what we covered. <laughs> yeah, sure. In that post-orgasmic glow of yours. <laughs> exactly. I'm ready now. I'm open to information. Okay, yeah, I'm happy to do it. Um, but do you want me to do it in sexy voice or in normal voice? Well, I'm not sure I could cope with sexy voice anymore. It's uh, too much, too much pleasure i can't handle it so let's do it normal voice maybe 60 seconds starting now in this out of office special we travel back to vietnam in the late 80s to see how the political influence of doi moi changed the people's relationship with sex we discovered that changes in the social structure put pressure on women to be mothers and wives we visited the state-sponsored park which encouraged lovers to canoodle we met wen Kiun, the legendary swimmer who defied convention by balancing a successful career with motherhood we met dr michael free who helped facilitate the creation of one of vietnam's first condom factories we learned about the boom of the sex industry, the dangers of HIV, and the rise in child prostitution. There was beer, honey flambéed bananas, and a dead wandering president. It was sex. It was Vietnam. It was the late 1980s. Last week's episode done Summarised nicely Nice one, son Now we're over to a young Dursley Who's gonna tell you what he thought of me He'll take you apart without any care He's the lovely Paul Dursley The lovely Paul Dursley Ah, yes, it's all come back to me, as indeed as the late 1980s Uh, That was indeed an episode filled with sexiness, sass and stories So... Judge Dursley, is that a gavel in your pocket or did you really just enjoy the episode? Uh, It's definitely a gavel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, any first remarks to get us launched off into the beginning of this sexy, sexy verdict? Well, I didn't know what to expect, actually. I was a tad disappointed because I thought you were going to sort of replay bits of the old one and take the mickey out of yourselves. Well, that was my original intention. I went back to listen to the original episode and I thought, okay, well, I can cut out some of this. We can add in some bits and bobs. But as I was going, the structure of it didn't quite work and it just felt a bit odd to be cutting to poorer quality audio and a few other bits and bobs. So I just felt, you know what, let's just remaster the whole thing. (laughs) Was this the podcasting equivalent of cleaning a little bit of a wall and then you realise the next bit needs to be cleaned and then suddenly you You've just cleaned your house from top to bottom. And we're putting in an extension out the back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But Vietnam, Paul, is that a, a, an area that entices you? Well, can't you remember what I said the last time? That was two years ago. You might have changed your mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's a part of the world I, 
I sort of would like to go to, but my criterion at the moment is there have to be sit-down lavatories. Ah, you don't want to be squatting. No, and I, I, I know in hotels you get them, but if I'm took short, I don't want to be took short over a hole. <laughs> well, I suppose you're always ultimate, ultimately over a hole, but yes, I take your point. Uh, <laughs> but did you feel that it was kind of just old news repackaged, or did you feel there was enough new stuff to keep things interesting and it was an interesting exercise worth repeating? Well, I refer to the answer given by you a few minutes ago. I can't remember what you did two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's what I found when you were telling me stuff. There was only one or two occasions where I was like, oh, I remember that. And the rest of it was like, some of it was genuinely new, of course, not but I really couldn't necessarily extract bits which were new from bits which I had frankly forgotten about. <laughs> it's very difficult, isn't it? When, uh, like, for, for us, we do our research, we record the episode, we edit the episode, we listen to the episode, we do the verdict, and then we forget everything. A lot. Which is why our end of the year quiz is so much fun. Exactly. You can always rely on us to be completely stumped by things that we had researched in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, topic-wise, Paul, sexiness, is that something that you feel at home with? Are you uh, comfortable in your sexuality? I'm getting a bit too old for that sort of thing. (laughs) What about you, Pete? Because uh, you were definitely blushing at one point. Like, and I'm not kidding. You genuinely felt uncomfortable at one point. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not a great talker about sex. I'm a fantastic lover, as you can imagine. But uh, <laughs> talking about it isn't really my bag, to be honest with you. Uh, in fact, funny you should uh, say that because what I did do after the episode was look up some world <laughs> epi- world euphemisms for sex for people like me who aren't totally comfortable talking about it. Okay. The Swedish say, "Park the bus." <laughs> You want to park the bus? <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly sure how that works, but that is one. There's a Hindi one that's uh, <laughs> only to be said afterwards, which is work has been completed. Oh, wow. <laughs> and the parrot work. <laughs> exactly. It's very formal, isn't it? Uh, Italian, the, the word to sweep is used as a euphemism for it. But then I got, this is a bit of a rabbit hole, as you can imagine, I got moved into oldie timey words for making love. Oh, okay. Uh, and so these just, just, even the words themselves are great. These ones Paul will know. Yeah, oh, very much so. Paul, do you remember when you used well, to... That, that, that was probably when I was sexually active. <laughs> do you recall, Paul, when you used to ride below the cropper? Oh, yes, absolutely. Board a land carrack? A, oh, a carrack. Okay, yes, yes. Did you ever go for doodling? Oh, I'm not sure about that one. Did you do any prince and prancem? It might be prink and prankum. I am not going to answer that one. Come on, have you played rantum scantum? Did you play hey gamma cock? Rump scuttle and clappity pouch? <laughs> A <laughs> little bit of Larry can poop. Homer Gandhi. Dance the Kipples. <laughs> I, think, I think they should be bought back. Honestly, these are all terrific and I will give, do my very best to bring them back, but uh, I don't think it's going to be effective with my reach in the world of social media. I used to do doodling as a kid. <laughs> but no clappity pouch, I wouldn't wonder. <laughs> How is your search history looking after researching that episode? (laughs) (laughs) That is a really good question. I do know that the number one Vietnamese porn star is Venus Guy. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is knowledge you never knew you would pick up, isn't it? <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I normally do a little bit of Googling to follow up from an episode, and mm-hmm. I was fairly cagey about it this time, which is why I Googled embalmed politicians. Mm. Uh, I had a look to see how many there were around the place, because you said that the Russians did uh, Ho Chi Minh. Well, I don't know they did him, but they maintained the, the corpse, yes. Yeah. So they also, obviously, the, the origin of this was the Russians who embalmed uh, Vladimir Lenin, who is available for viewings <laughs> today. If you want to pop by. Uh, Surely it was started by the Egyptians. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, but in the modern time, these here's a list of uh, of embalmed people you can go and see. Ho Chi Minh, obviously we've covered, Vladimir Lenin. Mao Zedong got embalmed. Uh, Eva Peron. Oh, really? They said that they replaced all this water in her cells with wax, quote, basically turning her into a candle. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, then she was cremated. uh, Now, interestingly, Hugo Chavez of Venezuela, you may remember, Mm. they were planning to embalm him and put him in a box. With Most of these people seem to be in big perspect box. There must be one manufacturer Mm. of president boxes. (laughs) But Hugo Chavez was intended to do that. But then I think they left it a little too late (laughs) in the hot Venezuelan sun. And they went, no, let's not do that. (laughs) I imagine if you're a leader, at some point you have like a Tupperware box party, but it's just big coffins. You can pick which ones you <laughs> pick want. Your, pick your... Because you, you want to be well-framed, don't you? Yeah. But I did look into it because it was the Russians who, who actually embalmed Ho Chi Minh. Okay. Uh, but there's a whole thing to it because they came over and they had to hide in a cave, a big cave that they rigged up with water and electricity for the lab. And they did the preserving there because I guess the, this was during the Vietnam War. And the Americans were after the body because they wanted that for a potential exchange of POWs for the body. Mm-hmm. So at one point they had to flee and drift him down the river, essentially. So they were kind of on the run with this body for a little bit. When you say drift him down the river, I'm sorry, but I've got log rolling going <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> I think you could just keep that. I'm not going to disabuse you of that. That's too fun. But yeah, there he was in a cave being embalmed. Amazing. I think it's slightly closer to home, and we, I think we may have mentioned it before, was Jeremy Bentham, of course, in London University. Yes, isn't he just a head, or have, it, have I got that mixed up? No, his, his whole body... Uh, now, I'm not sure whether the body is actually his body. It may be a waxwork or something, but certainly the head is, is, is him. But it doesn't, he, doesn't he sit in a cupboard and he gets wheeled out to sort of at university convocations or something every year? Yeah, he sits at the head of the table, doesn't he? And has, has the meeting with them every year how's the conversation <laughs> dead i've probably been in a number of meetings like that <laughs> i've been that guy in a number of yeah, meetings exactly. if i'm honest <laughs> poke him see if he's real <laughs> yes So, Pete, talking of caves in Vietnam, yes, one of the things that I cut out of Vietnam facts <laughs> is that uh, Vietnam is home to the largest known cave in the world. In the world? Yeah, it's called Son Dong, and it's approximately 5.5 miles long. It is huge. Not keen on caves, I'll be honest with you. 
I get that sort of uh, claustrophobia. (laughs) When I see spelunking videos, I don't like it. Well, guess what? This cave is for you because it is 650 feet wide and it's 500 feet tall. Okay, I'll go in with the rope. It's amazing, this place. Um, It's like if you see pictures or video of it, it is like a fantasy world. It truly is. I think you're going to love it. It's two to five million years old, they reckon, and it's wide enough to fly a Boeing 747 through it. And not only that, it's tall enough to house an entire block of skyscrapers 40 stories tall. It has stalagmite columns as high as 70 meters. Meters. Wow, it's an incredible going. place. It even has its own cloud system. <laughs> uh, but if you do feel claustrophobic, you can head to the parts where the roof has collapsed in. Sounds dangerous. Your but... face has dropped. <laughs> <laughs> I was all right with a big, massive cave, and now it's a big, massive cave with a falling in roof. Yeah, the falling in roof is a problem. But uh, what it has meant. But is though, it a cave anymore if the roof has fallen in? Yeah. <laughs> Don't quite know the definition of a cave. I assume it's just another entrance at that point. Um, but yeah, so parts of the cave have collapsed and uh, now trees, plants, wildlife are in there, including some species which are starting to like be their own little weird abnormalies. What's an abnormally? Is that not the word? It's an abnormal anomaly. <laughs> yeah, it's an abnormally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to save time. <laughs> yeah, anyway. You can't so, save time with a pedant on the other end of the line. <laughs> well, yeah. as I'm discovering. But talking of discovery, the cave was discovered only in 1991. And it How was dis- massive, though. How did they miss this thing? Right. Well, it was discovered by a local farmer called Ho Khan, who found the entrance to the cave while he was out in the jungle. Heavy rain came down, gale force winds. He had to try and find shelter. And so he found the entrance to the cave just purely by accident. So um, after that, he said, uh, because my life was so hard, I forgot about it. So it it remained a secret for another 15 years until in 2006, members of the British Caving Research Association were in the area and they were looking for new caves. And so Khan told them about this cave that he'd found and they went, great, show us it. And he went, I don't know where it is. It was raining. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's out there somewhere. And so it wasn't for another three years until they found it. So in 2010, it was finally explored. And to visit the cave today, you need to get a government permit and you have to walk for several days through the jungle, wading rivers and climbing cliffs. So apparently it's not for the physically unfit. Yeah, I'll pass. You could take a jumbo jet there. (laughs) Yeah, just drop off midway. (laughs) Parachute out to a cave. That'd be amazing. It is incredible. I genuinely recommend everybody give it a look. Because I suppose the chap who discovered it didn't really know how big it was because I assumed that, well, it would have all been dark, wouldn't it? So he wouldn't have been able to say, oh, it's five miles long and 500 feet wide. Yeah, unless he had like, you know, some sort of torch. Unless he had a megawatt torch that could illuminate. Well, it's not been fully explored. It's it's. It's unknown how big it really is. I think it's only like 80% explored so far or, or something like that. I don't know. Well, if it's 80% explored, then they do know how big it yeah, is. Yeah, I realised that the minute I said it. <laughs> <laughs> Walked into that one. <laughs> He's out for me today. There was another numbers thing that you got wrong, but I can't remember it. Oh, well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> So, talking of Vietnam... Which we very much are. (laughs) It's almost the main point of this whole thing. (laughs) 
Uh, so we talked about sex work, we talked about uh, prostitution, and we talked about Vietnam War and the GIs encouraging a new sex industry. And the mixed race children as a result that got let back into the USA. That's exactly right. Yes, the sexual liaisons, which resulted in Amerasians, 50,000 of them, in fact. We said that they were shunned by the community. They were known as Doi, dust of life. Well, in 1975, under the threat of a massive offensive by the North Vietnamese and with no response from the US government, officials on the ground in Saigon filled a cargo plane with orphan children and sent it to San Francisco. The plane left without permission, without runway lights and with no seats, just babies lying on blankets. And it arrived in San Francisco, and this forced U.S. President Ford to order an official evacuation of orphan children, right? It sort of turned, forced his hand, um, as well as any mixed-race children, too. So the plan was to make a coordinated effort to relocate the kids to families in the United States where they could be cared for. Called Operation Baby Lift, the mission started in April 1975, and it planned to evacuate more than 3,000 children via a series of 30 planned flights aboard military aircraft. What a stupid name for it. Why? That sounds exactly what they're doing. Yeah, but you, you should call it something like Operation Stalk. Much better name. Oh, that is a good name. Dang Paul it. Dursley is available to hire for your future <laughs> operations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the initial official flight uh, departed on April 4th. Ground crew loaded 250 small children and staff of volunteers and nurses onto a military transport plane. But just 12 minutes after takeoff, the locks on the rear cargo door failed and the door blew off. This caused rapid decompression and loss of controls to the rudder. The crew wrestled at the controls. They prepared for an emergency landing, but the plane crashed into a rice paddy just two miles short of the runway. The plane skidded for a quarter of a mile, became airborne again for a half mile before then finally hitting the ground where it crushed the cargo deck, which is where the children were kept, and finally broke into four parts, some of which then caught on fire. Amazingly, 176 people survived. Uh, however, 138 people were killed, including 78 children and 35 adults. Upon hearing of the tragedy, Gerald Ford made this statement. He said... Our mission of mercy will continue. Other waiting orphans will make the journey. This tragedy must not deter us from offering new hope for the living. The government and people of the United States offer this hope in our rededication to assisting the Vietnamese orphans as best and as quickly as we can. And as promised, flights continued. And at the evacuation's height, approximately 40 planes left Saigon every 24 hours. The aircraft were designed to transport no more than 100 passengers, but sometimes they carried in excess of 180, just try and get as many people on as they could. Ultimately, more than 40,000 evacuees arrived in the United States, including more than 3,000 orphans and children of mixed race. Side note, and continuing the sex theme, Playboy mogul Hugh Hefner helped in the evacuation effort. He used his private jet to bring 41 children to New York's LaGuardia Airport. That's a very confusing experience, isn't it? You're there desperately trying to get out of this horrible situation and suddenly you're in this incredibly luxurious aeroplane. With Playboy bunnies. I assume they went with it, obviously. But then with Hugh Hefner there. Oh dear. I hope he wasn't in his pyjamas. <laughs> we all hope that. <laughs> So, 
Talking of the Vietnam War and uh, the American soldiers spending their off time, shall we say, (laughs) (laughs) the term R&R for rest and relaxation, it became known colloquially among the military as I and I. (laughs) Oh, I dread to ask. (laughs) What does that stand for, Ryan? Intoxication and intercourse. (laughs) Yeah. But prostitutes weren't the only women that GIs had interactions with. And so I'm going to tell you about some others. At their base, soldiers would live in small wooden frame huts with corrugated roofs, which they called hooches. Eight to 12 men would sleep in a hooch in cots covered with mosquito nets. Now, these huts would be cleaned by local women who became known as hooch maids. Well, every day, military trucks would collect these women and bring them to the base to clean and maintain the huts. They would sweep the floor, make the bunks, wash and iron clothing. In fact, it was common for the barbed wire fences around the base to be literally covered with clothes <laughs> left by the women to <laughs> hang out to dry. Uh, the women were well paid, about 10 US dollars a week, roughly the same amount as a captain in the South Vietnamese army. Yeah, which is impressive. Plus, GIs would often reward them with goods that they could then sell on the black market. The maids were often wives of the South Vietnamese soldiers. So there was a general rule among the American men not to initiate sex with any of them at risk of death from an angry husband. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So in in fact, most soldiers were keen to hire older women um, because one, (laughs) they were better at work and two, because younger women attracted too much attention from the other soldiers. And so no work got done. (laughs) One soldier said there was no negotiating. They were in charge. If you made your hooch made mad your lifestyle took a nosedive (laughs) where does the power lie i think that's known as soft power isn't it (laughs) absolutely that that reminds me at university you know if you got on the wrong side of your scout it was awful what would happen well they wouldn't make your bed or clean your stuff or do any of that sort of stuff i don't know how you could live like that because each they were basically they had a staircase each to look after. Just a staircase. That sounds easy enough. <laughs> Sweep it off once a week. Job done. I was going to mock you uh, for having a cleaner at your university because you went to Oxford. So I mean, how wonderful is that? But then I remembered I had a cleaner at ours as well. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Before we get too sexy, Ryan, and can't carry on, we should bring this to a close. Uh, it's probably time for you to step into the dock and prepare to face the people's judge. Let's do it. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Excellent. Will the defendant please rise? I'm risen. Your Honour, as usual, let's start proceedings by asking for your verdict on factual content. Well, this is quite a difficult one, isn't it? Because weren't you just regurgitating a lot of stuff that you'd already done? So is that is that worth a score? How much of it was new? Because I'm afraid I can't remember what happened two years ago. Well, I think if you don't remember, you can treat it all as if it were new information to you, which it kind of was. OK, so this time it was done professionally. We've learnt more as time went on. Okay. (laughs) So can I ask for your factual content verdict? Okay, I think I would give you C plus for factual content. 
bad and it is a complex one given that we have been here before yeah uh, okay next up and this was all new from the sketch point of view but also the whole it refers to the whole episode your verdict please sir on the entertainment value it, it was a funny one wasn't it, it very much a curious egg is in, in terms of entertainment some of it was most entertaining but other bits were really quite dark hmm uh, so, I think I'll give you a C. C, smack in the middle. Okay, and on to the ever-exciting, could go any way, any direction, Dursley Factor. Your verdict, please. Well, I don't like your revisiting the same subject at the same, at the same country. I, I think it's lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I'm going to give you D for that. Oh dear. Orion, before the judge passes his final verdict, yeah. you have your opportunity to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, make that plea now. I definitely do. Uh, so my plea is this. Two years ago, I sat down uh, for episode 10 and I gave us a very witty and entertaining episode <laughs> and you gave it, you judged wisely a C+. Two years later, here I am, fresh from having recorded another 50-plus episodes. I've brought all my experience, talent, and everything to it. And yet, you know, like a and like a sadomasochist <laughs> himself. What's your safe word, Ryan? <laughs> Is it D minus? <laughs> so as long as I get something greater than a C plus, I'm happy. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay, Your Honor, the defendant stands slightly pathetically before you. Uh, have you reached a verdict? Yes, I have. In that case, I would ask, with respect, for your ruling, please. Sorry, Ryan. I'll give you a C. <laughs> He's done it on purpose! <laughs> well, of course I've done it on purpose if you hadn't told me. Right. You did provoke him. Listen here, you two. <laughs> I promise, in two years' time, I will be back and you're going to be listening to Vietnam 3. <laughs> Return of the Killer. Because everyone knows the third in a trilogy is always the best. <laughs> you, you wanna, are you sure about that, C? You, you really don't want to give me a higher grade? I don't want to give you a higher grade, but I could give you a lower grade. No, no, no. No, that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, look, that is our show for this week. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things we've talked about on the show or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website, hhepodcast.com or email Pete and Ryan at hhepodcast.com. That's right. We'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. One way to definitely feature on a future show is to rate and review the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you do that, the recommendation really helps bring us out to the wider world and new listeners. That's right. And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get a message every time we upload some new content. Of course, we'll be back again and normal service will be resuming with the next episode. But in the meantime, a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. It was sort of my pleasure. <laughs> and that is it. I guess all that's left to say is... I've been hard done by. And... and... <laughs> <laughs> Do you realise every time you whinge, it goes into my little book? <laughs> Pete never whinges. He accepts the odd bad thing, and that's fine. Yeah, the odd bad thing. <laughs> it's not every fripping episode I do. Anyway, I loved it. 
and it turned me on. <laughs> <laughs> he is a masochist. Basically, you're fueling his fantasies, Paul. Uh, and that is it, which means all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... So how, how, how do you think the drop-off rate's going to be for this one? More than five minutes, because we put that little sketch at the front. We, we kept him in for a little bit with our sexy talk. <laughs> well, that's what you thought. <laughs> oh, crumbs. <laughs> Feel very sexy, Pete. <laughs> this episode goes out to Leslie Phillips. Are you drowning? You're in the bath. <laughs> He's fallen asleep in the bath. <laughs> uh, okay. Cheers. Bye.